Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 1- 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits business and swim. You know, with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta Sky Miles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. the Believe Next podcast. Matthew Miranda joined, as always, by Stacey Patton. Uh, today will be a little bit of a bipartite podcast, as some of you love. Um, we're going to do a little bit of Nick's at the start, probably about 15-20 minutes, and then we're going to have a special guest on to discuss the second of the two good New York City basketball teams, one obviously being the Knicks, the other one being the New York Liberty. New York Liberty, who are entering the WNBA playoffs on Friday. They are the two seed. They will be hosting the Washington Mystics in a best of three first round. Um, Gigi has been. Oh, I just gave it away. So the special guest will be Gigi Spear. Uh, Gigi covers the Liberty for the Strickland. Has been writing features and recaps all season, um, and has been covering the WNBA for a while. So we're going to look to her for some insights about the Liberty, uh, the Mystics, and maybe just WNBA stuff in general. Um, but before we get started, we'll do a little next stuff. And and Stacy, while we have a little time in this very special time of season where free agency and everything is done, but training camp has not quite arrived, so we're all free to just wallow in our own crapulence, whatever it may be regarding the Knicks. Is there anything on your mind right now in Nick Nation that you would like to discuss? Um, I think the the biggest, you know, the biggest kind of open question is the Emmanuel quickly extension. Uh, and when I say yeah. biggest question, I mean, we can debate all day what the ceiling is of this team. I think it's a lot higher than I think a lot of people expect. But I think in, we know what the team is going to look like um, going forward, um, or going into next season. Uh, the question is, what are they going to do about the quickly extension? Um, 
you know, I think everyone has a number. Um, you know, Ian Begley wrote an article talking about, you know, if they were to extend him, uh, he would become very difficult to trade, I think, at least next season. Mm-hmm. And, or in his, in his, there is a poison pill a provision in the contract. So putting him in a star trade is a little bit difficult at that point. Um, whereas, you know, um, if they don't extend him, then they were, you know, getting to restricted free agency and having to match uh, potentially a pretty large deal. Uh, curious kind of what your thoughts are on, on the whole situation. And, you know, I think they've, they already played a guy in, in Josh Hart, you know, pretty big money to be a bench player. One would think quickly we'll get more, you know, is it, is it a bad idea for the Knicks to be spreading this many, spreading so much money, you know, despite and, and putting themselves close to that second apron potentially um, despite, you know, not really having a true star on the roster. So everything for me is different now post this new CBA. Um I am so I'm not I'm not sure under the new CBA how much I love the idea of paying Hart and quickly both 20 something million a year when Brunson and potentially if they keep him Randall are both due for pay raises in the next couple of years. You may think you know the next one are gonna hang on to one of those guys, that's fine. But under the old CBA, I would have just said like pay pay him, pay him, who cares? But I'm a little unsure, and I'm glad you referenced the Bigley article. My admittedly limited understanding of all of the financial complexities is that it doesn't hurt the Knicks really to wait until, like it doesn't hurt the Knicks to wait to extend quickly um, in terms of roster flexibility. Something that I saw raised in a recent piece on The Athletic, maybe it was Begley or Katz, I can't remember who it was. First The Athletic, it had to be Katz, right? Sorry, duh. Yeah, it would have to be Katz. Um is there was this little suggestion that perhaps there could be an issue because quickly is going to want a deal close to what Brunson got. And I don't feel in my head, I'm not, no one's offered me 20 million. So I don't know what that's like. It's hard for me from a completely ignorant distance to imagine that that matters because Brunson is going to be taken care of very soon. The, the contract that is gave Brunson in the first place, obviously indicated we want you, we trust you. I don't know why quickly getting paid would matter negatively at all. Maybe this is just it's September and we're looking for things to talk about. Do you have any sense of like signing quickly is not worth it if it potentially, because the Knicks, and this has been a long, to the Knicks credit, and this is under Dolan, this goes back a long way. The Knicks have not, at least publicly, seem to have any issue with chemistry in a long time. Like, you don't hear a lot of crap about this guy complaining. Randall's had a lot of you know, public body language, yelling at team. You've never heard, maybe that's because the Garden doesn't like things to come out, period. But I've never gotten a sense of like this is a team that has a chemistry issue. Even when they bring up Randall at his most controversial, it seems like the ship is pretty much uniform. So I don't have a sense that like they need to do anything with quickly at all. I feel like they're probably my my inclination is that Leon Rose whatever he's doing is just to maintain flexibility. I'm not worried the Knicks are going to like let quickly slip through their fingers. And so if there's no advantage to doing it now, why sweat it? But under the new CBA, I'm not sure. I do like to to answer your, one of your questions. Normally I like the idea of let's have a bunch of different contracts because the more you can differentiate contract types, the more flexible you are to make a trade in the future for a star. Cause you'll have high tier, you know, mid tier, low tier, Something to me seems a little wonky about we're going to max out Brunson soon. 
if either you're going to pay Randall more or you're going to replace him with a star that you have to pay. You're going to have one guy off the bench making 20 mil. You're going to have another guy off the bench making 20 mil. You're going to have Mitch making 15 mil. I, I can't see that far ahead, but I don't have any anxiety right now about the quickly contract situation at all because I don't, I haven't gotten a sense from quickly or the Knicks that like there's any incentive to have to deal with it now. Well, I think that so what from Begley said is in Begley said that the wish I think on both sides is to get an extension done. Uh, you know, you have a young player, you want to keep him happy. Typically, mm-hmm. this happens in October. Um, so the the way the reporting has come out is uh, talks are supposed to heat up next month. Um, okay. I do remember. I think that athletic article mentioned the people saying that quickly is going to get seek out Brunson money or well upwards of a hundred million. I think that was like a rival executive. Um, uh, I'm always a little bit skeptical yes. of those things. Um, Begley did say that if and when quickly was put put on the trade market, there would be extensive suitors. Uh, it is it is interesting if they believe that you know they'll get some if they don't extend him, they'll get some time to gauge the market and see if he's really going to be priced out of their range. Um, but it, it, the, you know, it, it, I think there is value to, you know, locking down a young and promising player. Uh, he's one of the more polarizing players in the Knicks. Uh, you know, I think his biggest proponents will say, you know, a team might take a, a flyer and, and throw him a max, right. And force the Knicks to match that year. Um, others would, the, the downside of that is for a team, if they once you sign a player to an offer sheet, right, uh, to a restricted free agency offer sheet, now your money is tied up there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if the other team matches, you've lost all that very precious time during the beginning of free agency. Um, so I, I I think that if they can get him for, um, I actually think Hart is Hart ended up being what four for eighty one. Yes. Yeah. So um, I think it was if it's if if quickly gets four for ninety. Um, and, and you know, remember that four for eighty one came with Hart picking up his option, right, for a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So considering that, it's five for about eighty four. Uh, sorry, ninety four, um, or, or ninety three, or something like that. So I would expect mm-hmm. it quickly gets somewhere about twenty two, four for ninety. I think he's going to take that. Um, you know, there is something to be said for betting on yourself, but this is generational money for a first contract. Yeah. Um, and you know, the downside might be if he says, I, am I going to be the backup for four years? Then the next one, maybe I am passing on a max, but I think locking up that first contract. And then if he stays a bench player, maybe at some point it makes sense for both parties to trade him. Um, what Begley said is it will just be difficult. I think in the first year of his extension. Um, but, uh, and then of course running into the apron, you know, once you run into the first apron, you start to lose some of the flexibility uh, you know, you can't do sign and trade unless you're, you you give right. out more money. Um, so those kind of restrictions from a roster wide perspective make sense. But but also there's there's still young guys who we're finding out more about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're finding out more about quickly. We're finding out more about Grimes. We're finding out more about RJ. Um, you know, we given that that star isn't here, I think until you know all of those things. I think there's very few worlds in which Emmanuel quickly at $22 million is some crippling contract that you can't get rid of. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's established himself as a, as a productive player. Um, if he doesn't get any better, maybe that becomes a contract where people are like, all right, I'm not itching to get him on the books, but he's a solid player and he can help a contender, but you probably wouldn't have to like spend the capital to move him. Uh, so on, on its own, it's not a tough contract. I think a lot of the skepticism is people are like, okay, but like you were mentioning, Look at all of the contracts. Uh, how much does that 
you know, reduce your flexibility. Um, I think that the flip side of that is that stars are not getting to free agency right now, right? Um, you know, even and Giannis probably less though so now with the new CBA, it's going to be even less common, I think. Yeah, it's just um, you know, people people give these stars a lot of grief for demanding trades, but it's helpful, right? Um, if Donovan Mitchell had waited out his time at Utah and then left for nothing, they wouldn't have gotten anything back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think with Dame, that's a different story, right? I think that when you're restricting your team to one potential trade suitor and that's not a they don't have a very good package i don't really like what dame's doing there um but in general i think that the way the knicks are thinking about it is if individually you have all of these good contracts for solid players uh who have the potential to outperform them but can also be used in a trade i think they appreciate that flexibility so if they can lock up quickly without having to go to restrictive and i think to your point so from the chemistry perspective, I don't think it's like I don't think Brunson's going to look over it quickly and be like, "Wow, you're making almost yep. as much money as me," yeah. uh, because I think it's probably accepted within the locker room that yeah, Brunson isn't paid what he's worth, um, and that's probably going to be made right in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think for the I don't I don't and I think that they're generally you know you mentioned you know Julius can be a little volatile, but I think really if that was showing up in the locker room or off the court. Um, it would have been, they, they wouldn't have lasted this long. They would have yep. gotten rid of him a long time. You would have heard about it. Yes. Uh, I think he was actually really good friends with Obi, who clearly was frustrated. You know, he hasn't said anything, I think, too damning about his time, but we right. know he was frustrated. We know that he, he's excited to, to you know, get a more of an opportunity in Indiana and we'll be rooting for him. But if Julius was really, the, if there was any locker room issues, that would have come out. Um, and I don't anticipate, I anticipate it being more of an issue potentially if quickly doesn't get extended and then there's our uncertainty hanging over their head. And this is a team that's making a push, you know, he's an important part of a team that is going to be, I think a playoff contender this year, you probably want to lock him up. Um, and, you know, we'll see, you know, kind of the, the apron restrictions and what they're going to do with Randall. And, and there's a lot of balls that are up in the air. So we just don't know. And I, I get a lot of the skepticism from people who, who think that's going to, uh, reduce the Knicks flexibility um, who think the Knicks don't really have any outs. Um, but I think that what this, what this office, what this front office has tried to do as much as possible is keep their options open. And to that extent, it would seem the quickly extension would do more to do that than potentially having him go to restricted free agency and then having money tied up, you know, if you're with a cap hold or whatever. So. I want to, <laughs> I just realized this, um, a little earlier today, and I wanted to ask you about this. Um, where were you, Stacy, in the year 2013? Where were you in your life at that point? Uh, Ten I, years ago, I had literally just moved to to Long Island City, New York, to Queens. So, Long Island City, New York. I, okay. I took a new job at the end of 2013 and, and moved to Queens. Yeah. You have any idea why on a Nick podcast I'm asking you about where you were in 2013? Because the last the last time they were good. Not only is it the last time the Knicks were good, and I say this entirely conscious of the fact that we are about to spend most of the rest of this podcast talking about the Liberty, who are clearly at the moment the best team in the city, but also I would argue certainly they don't have the historical or current popularity of some of the other teams. The last time between MLB, NFL, and NBA, the last time I think that the Knicks were the best team in New York City, like they are right now, was 2013. In 2013, the Mets were the Mets. 
Giants were good. The Giants were like seven and nine that year, uh, or eight and eight. The Giants and Jets were both. The Jets were just coming off the Rex Ryan, uh, whatever you want to call it. And twenty thirteen uh, Giants went seven and nine. I mean, Giants won it in twenty eleven, so I assume they must have been yeah. better. But but the Giants that was the uh, that was I think late Coughlin like. They had been good, and the Jets had been good. But I, re- I remember very clearly in 2013 the oddity of, like, God, the Mets sucked. The Yankees, by Yankee standards, sucked. They were, like, 85 and 77. They came in fourth. The Jets crashed after Rex Ryan turned out to be a paper tiger. The Giants, okay, they won their two Super Bowls. They were done. It's very – there's something very, very nostalgic to me. As uh, It really takes me back to the 90s where sports did not really – summer sports in – like, football – you didn't really suffer because the Knicks were so good that you didn't have to worry about it. And baseball, even with the Yankees peaking, like even in a Yankee dynasty, baseball did not start until the Knicks season was done. And there was something very, I'm enjoying this. I'm very much just enjoying the little like, okay, yeah, we're, we're doing pretty good right now. I, I, I feel like this is probably goeth before the fall, but I feel right now like, this is nice. This is not bad. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to say measure because there's a lot of national writers who frankly think the Knicks are going to take a step back. But if you look at the reasoning... Um, what is the reasoning? The reasoning some, some have been like, oh, the Knicks are pretty solid. The reason is, what do I think be, be that other teams got better and the Knicks didn't, which I don't know that there's anyone behind them besides maybe Indiana, but I don't think Obi Toppin moves them ahead of the Knicks. Um, yeah. I like the DiVincenzo move. Um, mm-hmm. You can argue Cleveland got better, but they were ahead of the Knicks last year anyway. Um, and no, I mean, no one, no one in that division got better. Like no one. I yeah, I mean, Philly might one. implode. Um, Boston, mm-hmm. I liked the KP move, but it, so that's the thing, right? I was talking with with someone who is a someone I respect. Um, so it's a, it was very friendly, but he was saying, well, the big reasons were one. Julius Randle has been up and down his entire career. Can you count on another big year from him? Yeah. And two, which I so that one I disagree, and I'll say why in a second. Hmm. The second one I think I give a little more credence to because um, the second point was, you know, they rely on some guys with some injury history, right? Mitch, um, Josh Hart, even Chenzo have all been injured. Hmm. Um, and then thirty said the East got better. So I said one, I don't think the East got really better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think. Indy might get better. Uh, the Heat, if they get Dame, obviously that changes things. But in terms of where the Knicks were, they played at about a 53-win pace last year uh, after the Hart trade. I, right. I, Schwinn's actually said 56. I know was, I've seen 53. Um, that's actually with a couple of games at the end of the year where they were resting starters. Um, and then the last part is um, – and then the last part with Randall, if you look at what he did in 2020, um, there was a um, – I did what Randall did in 2020. He was just shooting bonkers from three and shooting much higher than you'd expect from mid-range. And that's not really what happened last year. Last year, he just took way more shots at the rim. He took a ton of threes. And there's like, it's just, it's not very hard to envision him just being able to do that. It's not like he shot that well. It's just a much better shot diet. Uh, And he had to do less with Brunson around. So um, I think to your point, I'm very optimistic. They're like the New York team. I care definitely uh, most about um, so it's a good feeling to, yeah, not have to switch to baseball so quickly. So now you'll go from the joy of one of the city's two good basketball teams to the other of the city's good basketball teams, as I furiously alienate all of our Brooklyn Net listeners. I would like to introduce our guest, who I already ruined the, the surprise for, but 
as long as she's here, I will give her the, the proper introduction. Our guest, a star at Fordham University in softball and the WFUV sports. In the whole galactic nursery of stars at the Strickland, this individual burns pretty bright. Um, first time having her on the the Believe Knicks podcast, hopefully not the last. Very excited to get her insights into the upcoming WNBA playoffs. Welcome to the show, Gigi Spear. Gigi, how are you doing today? I am so good. Miranda, it's so nice to see you again. Stacy, oh my gosh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And I love galactic stars of the Strickland universe. That's beautiful. That's like Marvel worthy. Like you have once your own you, legacy. Once you do a second pod with me, then I bust out the real superlatives. So now that we've already done one before, now I can just really let the good stuff go. So it's a really good MO to have is that right. you can name superlatives for people. And a lot of people can't do that. It's a very specific okay. niche skill. Update that bio. You can have that in your bio for free. Intergalactic star. I appreciate um, that. I'll be using it. <laughs> so Gigi has done most of our recaps and some features during the season. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, you, you've you've got your pulse on the whole WNBA scene. Um, maybe we'll talk about some of these external teams also, but I certainly want to focus on the Liberty um, and the Mystics in their first round series. And the first thing I want to ask you, especially as a, as a, a former high-level athlete yourself, at this top level of competition, like, you take any edge you can get. These are all elite, world-class athletes. Like it, it doesn't always take a lot, you know, for for motivation or, or for differentiation. Is Sandy Brondello, Liberty coach, secretly thrilled that the season ended with Brittany Sykes making a game-winning shot to cost the Liberty? Because before that season-ending loss, for about a month, everything was roses in Liberty Universe. They kept winning. They beat Vegas a couple times. They won the Commissioner's Cup. The Liberty have been getting healthy. They got Stephanie Dolson back. They got Hanju back from the Asia Cup. Meanwhile, Kenneth Parker remains out. There was all this like, wow, maybe the you start seeing more articles about maybe the Liberty really are. And I feel like as a coach, you don't want to go into the postseason with your team feeling like, yeah, we are the shit. So do you think on any level losing that finale might have actually been an advantage for the Liberty in terms of preparing, especially for the Mystics? I love this question. I say absolutely. I think it's absolutely an advantage to end a very, very good season, a not perfect season, but a very good season on a low note. And it's a weird, bittersweet loss, which I feel like New York sports has experienced a lot of bittersweet losses recently. Especially um, take- for some reason. I know, I know. It's just the epicenter of striving has something to do with some bittersweet losses in sports, but I think we'll take it. Um, and I think there's some positives that come out of that game. Number one is John Quill Jones says that the fan atmosphere at Barclays Center is what sets the Liberty apart. And that was a big reason why they were able to revive themselves, even though they were down at half. They get it within two and then they end up losing this game. But I would say and you dubbing me a high-level athlete, I am nothing compared to these professional athletes. But I think what I've noticed with Sandy Brandello since she took over is a clear level-headedness. And there's always a little something up her sleeve. So I wouldn't be surprised if she's seeing that and being like, okay, remember this. Everybody remember this. And who was guarding her but Brianna Stewart. And I think that's mm-hmm. another player that's super level-headed but also just has like 
so much talent to go along with the desire to win and desire to be a good teammate and desire to take it all the way. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she had her, whatever it is, like seven foot wingspan up in that, and she just catched and shot it. Like she was playing mm -hmm. taps or something, um, Brittany Sykes, <laughs> man, I don't think that they forget that. And I do think to get back to your question, I do think it's a positive way to start playoffs, which are first two games at home. Mm -hmm. And this is not, you know, for those maybe listening who are mostly Nick fans and are kind of new to the Liberty, this is not a typical two versus seven matchup. The Mystics are not some little podunk team that snuck into the play. Like the Mystics had a very injury plagued regular season. Uh, Elena Deladon, who's been one of my favorite players since college, uh, missed almost half the season. Ariel Atkins missed about, I don't know, 13 to 15 games. They were without. Um, Oh, there was a third person who was out for them for a while. They just got um oh my god, I'm sorry. I can't oh Shakira Austin. Shakira Austin was out for a while, returned for about six games, hasn't played the last four. Do you know, by the way, anything about her status? Is she available? Is, is she maybe available? Do we know anything? Not that I know of. I okay. I think I think it is like a tough injury that's just on overuse, but I don't think I don't think there's any news coming out, and I don't think we'll know till game time tomorrow, to be honest. So between those players, between um, Natasha Cloud, Brittany Sykes, who's been a new addition this season, Lee Meng, who's been another great perimeter shooter on a team that's already a good perimeter shooting team. Washington was top five in the league and three-pointers made and attempted. It's a tough matchup. The Mystic have size, and not just size. They have highly – Elena Deladon is about 6'4", I think, 6'5". Shakira Austin, if she's available, was one of the most impressive second-year bigs in the WNBA. It's not – the easiest matchup, even for a team that has Brianna Stewart and John Quill Jones in their front court. But I'm really curious. I want to know. This is one of the best years in Liberty history. Like regular season wise, this is the best. And uh, trivia. I wonder if either one of you know the last time the Liberty won a playoff series, when it was, and who it was against. I'm gonna go before the turn of the millennium. I'm gonna go like 1999 or something. Can't be that recent. That's very harsh. Um, it's 2015. Oh, when they beat the Mystics, um, led by Bill Ambier. Those are your Tina Charles Epiphany Prince teams. Um, but the reason I bring it up is, is to get to this larger question. Everyone knew that the Liberty were planning for big things when they made all these moves. It was, and not just the players. Like getting Brondello was like we're bringing in an established, like this is an established winner. We're bringing in one former MVP. We're bringing in another former MVP. We're bringing in a Hall of Famer in Courtney Vandersloot. We're adding, we're adding, we're adding. Who is the most... So everything's gone well so far. But who do you think in the organization, it could be a player, executive, coach, who do you think Gigi is facing the most pressure on the Liberty heading into this postseason? Because I have one person in mind that I'm going to ask you about, but I'm curious, if it, or I'm curious if there's anyone that you think bears a particular... Because it's it's a super team. It's not we have our one great star. Like it's a super team. But do you think there's any particular amount of pressure on one individual? Okay, this question. Like I'm laughing because this is probably the hardest question I've been asked in a podcast. Like that is so tough because I think there's so many players and executives. You know, like jobs are on the line if you mm -hmm. don't perform and you spend so much to get players to come and to stay the entire season. GM Jonathan Kolb was just named WNBA executive of the year. And right. I think that's super 
awesome and super deserving because like you said, it's their best regular season performance ever. So I feel like the pressure's off him. I feel like, well, comparatively, this right. is my thought process. I would say pressure's on Sandy Brondello as a coach. Like the coach has to deliver numbers and on every team in every form. And I think that she already did that. And I'm just going to go through the list and I'm going to say my name last that I think has the most pressure. Courtney Vandersloot, I don't think has anything left to prove in the basketball universe at all. Brianna Stewart's one of those people that's like kind of like a LeBron where if she doesn't win it all, it's going to go against the the conversation around her legacy, comparing her to the other people on the Mount Rushmore of WNBA history. Mm -hmm. But I would say there's pressure early on on Betnaija Laney to prove herself and to prove her worthiness on the team. And she did that. So now the pressure's off. Now we're narrowing it down. John Quill Jones, huge pressure on her. Like you said, MVP. She was six woman of the year. She was on the all-star team years in a row. Like she has proven every accolade, but she struggled early on for the Liberty and then was able to turn that around. So I'd say kind of pressure's off her as of right now, but the pressure was on. The pressure, and I could say this because you could kind of see it in her eyes, is on Sabrina Ionescu 100%. And why I'm saying that and why I could say it confidently is because she feels it. She feels it 100%. She knows that she hasn't had that much postseason success. Like she won a Pac-12 championship and that's it. And then seasons canceled because of COVID. And then one of her mentors in Kobe Bryant, unfortunately passes away and then she has felt I feel like because she hasn't achieved postseason success in the way of winning a national championship in college or going on to another round in the WNBA so I would say the pressure's on her for them to make it to the final series I don't think it's a completely lost season if they end up losing to the aces because they're ridiculous yeah. But yeah, that's that would be my final answer is Sabrina Inescu, and I think she'd agree with me. Do you think it would be more of a disappointment? Like if they lose to someone that's not the aces in the finals, do you think that's the same or okay? I think that this matchup is the most ridiculous matchup of the WNBA playoffs. Because yes. like you said earlier, Miranda, it's not a typical two versus seven at all. Like the Mystics are they were so unlucky, and that's the only reason why they're the seven seed. They're two and two versus the Liberty on the season. Yep. So I think even if they lose in the first round, it would be heartbreaking and it would be terrible. And mm-hmm. there would be a lot of like considering of where players might go after that. But I think it would be understandable compared to the other matchups. That being said, we could we could put our hands back and like tomorrow see a blowout game for the Liberty at home. Shakira Austin likely out, I would say, for the first two games. So... To answer your question, Stacey, I think that the Liberty, if they were to face like the sky or the sun in the playoffs, or I mean, I don't think that they'd face Dallas, but um, mm. if they face anybody out of that series, yeah, it would be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same as losing to the Aces. But I would say the sun would be the exception just because of how talented their roster is and how they were in the finals last year as well. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I brought it up because. You know, before the playoffs last year for the Knicks, we said, you know, if they win a series, everything else is house money, right? And then if they expected to play the Bucks, if they had won, they ended up playing the Heat and they're the eighth seed and 
that stung a little bit more, right? So if the Liberty gets the finals and then it's not the Aces, you're like, all right, you should win this, right? Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about Sabrina. I think I, I'd have to agree with your point. It definitely seems like she, she'd have the most pressure. Um, There's a quote, I think it was, now it's been a couple of weeks, but um, they asked um, Becky Hammond after they faced Aces, you know, how hard is it to deal with Sabrina when you already have to focus on players like uh, Brianna and John Quill? And she just, she straight up said Sabrina's the focus. Um, so, mm-hmm. by the way, I did forget to mention this before. It, the Liberty are a good example that you can bring a super team to Barclays and not implode as long as they're not like <laughs> the Earthers and, um, you know, whatever, whatever Harden is doing. Um, wow. But kind of on the Sabrina note, um, just thoughts on how she's progressed, you know, especially from a rookie year. And how much do you think it helped her really to bring in, uh, you know, another playmaker in Vandersloot? Obviously, the front court options as well. But, um, you know, do you, how much do you think it's like freed up her game a little bit to not have so much playmaking pressure and to focus on what she's really good at? I mean, she's a great passer as well. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, how much do you think it's kind of liberated her, if you will? Guys, I don't know if I'll be able to handle the Nets slander that's going to come from this podcast. Oh, are, you, are you a Nets fan? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I did a lot of work at Barclays Center, did one, two seasons with the Nets when Harden was there, Kyrie was there. So I picked up some Nets friends along the way. But I'd be happy to answer this question, though. <laughs> and I, I would say the addition of Courtney Vandersloot was huge because Sabrina is – she can definitely open up the floor for her teammates and she can pass well, but she's a shooting guard. She is. And we've seen her when she can let loose and just shoot the ball and focus on that and being a scoring weapon rather than racking up assists. She's playing free and she's playing like the basketball. You would expect someone just playing loose and like playing on a playground kind of thing would be doing like her, her commercial for her Sabrina ones. She's like, I used to play for slushies, like slushy money. And <laughs> in that way, she was just playing to score and to win and to win. So I think when Courtney Vandersloot is taking off that pressure, racking up like 11 assists a night, 12 assists a night, crazy games in that way. I think that what I've seen out of Sabrina is just way more loose form of a basketball player. And I think that's something that she thrives in and she loves and something like if her teammates are hot that night, obviously she's going to pass the ball, but that's a great thing in basketball too, is to have a teammate who's hot because you have an option, but then you also might be left open. So I think that that's happened a couple times this season where you have multiple players being hot from three and the numbers that they put up are ridiculous. So I, I just think it's different form of her and it, for that reason she's super dangerous yeah that, no that, that makes a lot of sense and, uh, and it's great to see how how well it's worked together um you know one player i, I definitely wanted to ask about and, and matt knows she's been my favorite player on the one of my favorite players for sure on the liberty um is marine johannes uh who's really fun to watch she had perhaps a, the greatest mj in the history of basketball definitely <laughs> Um, and, uh, but last year she had a little bit of a larger role and this year she's mostly been off the bench a little bit, you know, she's sharing the ball. Um, but I've been really impressed. She's still, she flashes and does some crazy stuff, you know, once, once or twice, at least a night, um, unless it's like one of those games where she's going off, um, just like the most audacious shot selection. Um, so one, like generally would love to hear her thoughts on Marine, but also it's pretty impressive that she's kind of taken on this role when last year she had a bigger one, she played really well for France. Um, you know, that I think it speaks to kind of the lack of egos on this team, despite so many big and talented players, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that something that always stands out about Marine is 
she is so ready to shoot anytime she goes in. It's like she is on that bench and just picturing herself taking shots the entire time. Like she's never out of rhythm. That being said, they don't all go in. And there's some you she'll chuck up and you're like, wait, what? If they don't go in. <laughs> but same thing, if they do go in, you're like, how'd that happen? So I completely understand her being one of your favorite players, especially to watch. Like she is so fun. She's the magician. Like she doesn't reveal her secrets on how it's going to go in or, you know, like necessarily like what shot she's looking for, but the magician doesn't reveal those, their secrets. And I, someone called her the French Steph Curry earlier in the season. (laughs) And I see that because there's just some shots she'll pull up like from the logo or crazy, like off balance fade away. And I would say that for her coming off the bench, it's actually working for her. Like she's able to prove herself. And plus later in the season when they rested Sabrina, I think it was the game against the Sparks. She had more time to shine and kind of be that replacement for her. And what's also fun too, is you could also have Maureen and Sabrina on the floor at the same time and just pray that they're both hot that night because then they're unstoppable at that point. So yeah, I think it's a luxury, all the players that the Liberty have coming off the bench, but they've really found their cadence and the rhythm of how it's going to work and when one player is going to get pulled and how many fouls are they going to allow John Quill Jones to have before they're putting Dolson in? Or like if Sabrina's getting upset with the refs, let's go put Marina in real quick. And I think that that flexibility makes for a really well organized team and the fact that they trust each other and they might trust the fact that Marina is going to pull up from some crazy shot, but it's probably going to go in. And I think that that's super fun and she's so, so exciting to watch. And then the Steph comp too, she plays with such joy. Like there's just such brightness around what she does that on a team where like, like Inescu has been like one of my favorite basketball players since Oregon. Brianna Stewart has always been like one of my favorites and John Quill Jones also, but there's just some on a team just stacked with all this talent. There's no one that like, you can't look away from more than Johannes to me, which I find like fascinating. Like, and part of it is the skill and the audacity. And part of it is also just you never get a sense that Johannes is in danger of, like, getting down. or, right. no, or she's just, not rattled. You know, yeah, like, ever. And to do the things that she does, not ever be rattled and succeed that much at it. And like Stacy said, Johannes and John Cole Jones are the two players this year, I think, who made the biggest sacrifices to their individual game. Jones, in part, because she was working back from a foot injury that she sustained last year and admitted even when training camp started, she wasn't 100%. But if you tracked her numbers until especially the All-Star break is when she finally really seemed to settle in, her minutes were down more than the other, more than Stewart, more than other people. Other players were taking about the same number of shots. Jones was the one who was shooting less, playing less, focusing more on, like, let me hit the glass, let me, like, patrol the paint. But Johannes, more than anyone, has seen her numbers slashed. Um, and again, like you're saying, Stacey, to, like, to see a player... You know, to the fans, oh, great, super team. But you don't think about, like, in any job, if someone's getting more opportunities, someone's getting less. I love – like they're a very, very, very easy team to watch. And ju- and it's year one. We'll see how it ends and we'll see where it goes. Um, I'm curious, um, Gigi, if you have the same thought about something that I do. I can't see anyone besides the Aces or the Mystics beating the Liberty, which is one reason why I'm afraid of this series. The Mystics were the only team in the WNBA to beat 
the the Aces and the Liberty. They were the only team to beat the Liberty twice. Um, and they weren't always full. I mean, it was the first game and the last game, so make of it what you want. But one thing that we don't talk about a lot with super teams that I think is a is a hidden strength at, at times of New York is this is a quality bench. This is not we're, we're top heavy and there's nothing going on. Uh, Kayla Thornton has been brilliant every time she's been put in a position to play this year. Jocelyn Willoughby's had less time by far, has done a great job. Stephanie Dolson, who was a very young second-year player on the Mystics the last time the Liberty won a series, is a wonderful just another big with shooting range off the bench. Some teams don't have one player like that. The Liberty have three in Stewart and Jones and Dolson. I think the Liberty have an advantage bench-wise. Um, but now that the Mystics are healthier, it is one of the reasons that they're like a little scary. Like they have they have players who defend, they have players who can score. They have, you know, Eric Tebow. This I was gonna ask you about this earlier. I don't think Sandy Rondello has pressure because I think her resume is established. And she's a first-year coach. But there is something really interesting that Brondell is going up against Eric Tebow, who's a first-year coach, um, rookie coach. He took the team from his father, who has been the coach and executive for the last decade. On paper, that's an enormous mismatch. Rookie head coach against Brondello. But until the ball drops, you never know. So true. And there's just so much respect I think a lot of the Liberty players have for Sandy Brondello's resume too because they've played against her teams and they've played against the greats that she's coached and so I wish I knew more about coaching to be honest because I feel like as a rookie coach sometimes you could get super lucky but then also you're going to get the brunt of anybody's criticism like if they get swept this series it's going to be put on him because you can't necessarily blame the players at that point I think playoff basketball the players they're gonna show up and if they're losing close games the head coaches are getting the brunt so I wouldn't I I agree with you there Eric has more to lose and yeah it's interesting inheriting a team from your father too so it's like you're gonna have to adapt to your own coaching style but I think that what he's doing well that I think it's hard to do in basketball as a first year coach is to let the players play. And I think that's something that I'm going to be looking out for tomorrow is like, is he calling the timeouts at the right time? You know, is he doing it too, too quick, too early? Like um, one of the, one of those famous coaches, um, college basketball, you guys probably know better than me, UCLA coach. They had like that crazy run with Bill Walton um, oh, John Wooden. Okay, thank you. Yes, John Wooden. He's like iconic for like never calling the timeout in the final minutes or something like that, right? Like super no. kind of like an egotistical way of coaching, but like maybe it served his players at one point. But I think that's what we have to look out for tomorrow with the coaching. And something that was interesting was the other night when Stephanie Dolson went out had five threes like you said as a big who could shoot coming off the bench which is like a cheat code you wouldn't expect to actually exist in real life but it does and it exists in stephanie dolson the admiration that sandy brondello had for stephanie dolson afterwards in the press conference was just so impressive like they had played against each other they had you know their own rivalry going on before they were both on the liberty and now they're both here and they could support each other really well but the whole WNBA playoffs is so interesting when you look at coaches because you have such a wide variety of coaching styles where like Becky Hammond will get so heated and if there's any call that doesn't go in their favor 
she'll she'll let it rip. I think Sandy Rondello is just she's aggressive, but she's just not as fiery in in the way she has outward emotion. And I think that's something that really works well for this veteran Liberty squad where you have so many other players that can kind of take over that leadership role on the actual court. So yeah, that it's something else that makes the Liberty super dangerous. And just real quick too, to go back to Johannes just for a second, yeah. I think it's something about the humility that she's been showing that you guys are expressing where her minutes are slashed. Like any job happens, your minutes are slashed. Like you're not going to be happy about that unless you, you kind of don't really want to work that hard. That's fine. <laughs> but I think there's a rise in the NBA that we see that you guys know well of European players coming in and being able to be the superstars for their team and presenting kind of a different all out way of playing basketball. And maybe my little hypothesis on Johannes would be maybe she knows the Olympics are coming up next year. And maybe that's her other time to shine, you know, as like one of France's, best basketball players Mm -hmm. so I don't know maybe she's just kind of like doing one thing at a time and yeah I don't think that there's ever been any any ounce of bad blood or competition in the way that she doesn't want to play or that she she wants to play more than what she is and she's mad about it I think she does want to play and she wants to be in and that's why she's ready to go every time she she hits the court but I think Mm -hmm. every player and and Sandy Brandella as a coach they want to win the whole thing and that's been the focus the entire season. And I think that they can do it because like you said, they have so many key pieces and the right attitude, like their heart and soul of their team is wanting to compete and wanting to just go out there and get better and be consistent in their greatness. And they've had a great past month that ended pretty bad at home. So I think we could kind of expect them to show up as their best selves tomorrow night. Last few minutes, let's just expand our our vision to the rest of the league and the rest of the playoffs. I'm curious if you see a possibility for an upset in any of the other series. So, you know, Vegas just won by like a million points. I don't think anyone expects, in case you're wondering what the other series are, uh, Las Vegas is playing Chicago. The Aces are up one nothing. They blew the sky out last night. Uh, Dallas is playing Atlanta in the 4-5 series. And then Connecticut also won their first game pretty easily against Minnesota. Do you see... First, let's start at the top. Do you think, do we even talk about this guy in the aces or are we just waiting for a second round there? Oh my God, no. We okay. It was a blowout. There's a shot at it getting close. The Sky are a great team, to be honest. They're a really, really good team. But the aces are just like overall yeah. ridiculous in every category and they have the defense to shut down great scorers and great players. So, no, I don't think it's going to be a series. Maybe we get a little bit closer of a game, but I don't even think that there's going to be a close game. I thought there might have been before they played last night. Yeah, yeah. But now it's like them, the sun. I really, I really could have seen it being a series there. But now, again, the sun blowing them out 90 to 60. I, I smell two sweeps right there. As for the dream, I I I have Dallas winning that series, but yeah, that could be another toss up. But I just think that's kind of a series where, like, no matter who wins that, they're not going to make it to the final. No way. So if things hold the form, 
Vegas wins, Liberty win, the Sun win. The, the Liberty would play the Sun in the next round. Am I underestimating the Sun based on the fact that the Liberty did sweep them, but not all the games were blowouts. There was an overtime win in there. I just can't see it, but the playoffs are not the same. We, we see it in all sports. The playoffs are not the same as the regular season. Do you have any – we don't want to look ahead, but we can because we're not the players. Do you have any feeling that, like, ah, oh, the sun could be tricky for the Liberty? Because I don't. Oof, I do. I have a yeah. little bit of a feeling. I'm, I do expect the Liberty to win that series just because I don't – like, we could go back to Liberty's depth again. There's no way the Sun have as much depth as the Liberty. And if someone goes down, if someone fouls out early for the Liberty, it's going to suck. Like, if you're losing John Quill Jones early, that's it's, it's tough for you, but you'll be mm-hmm. fine. And I think when it comes to the Sun, yeah, the Liberty have swept them, but they are so scrappy. And the way that they can come together, despite losing players to injuries, they lose John Quill Jones before the season even starts, and now she's on the Liberty. I think that they're so hungry to win and to keep on winning, and not necessarily to prove themselves, but just to prove that they play high-level basketball no matter who they're playing against. Mm -hmm. They're dangerous. And I wouldn't underestimate them, but I would say that the Liberty have more of what it takes to win later in this season. And plus, we haven't – this is my thing, is I'm so excited for tomorrow night. We haven't even seen – this Liberty squad in playoff mode at all, like not at all. This is the first time they're pretty much all playing together. Yes. But Nigel Laney, Mm -hmm. Sabrina Ionescu returning, Stephanie Dolson returning, but last year they got swept by the sky and okay. Like they, they, that was not that even of a series I would say. So this is just a whole new look New York Liberty. And then, they're going to be way different, I would say, in playoffs. I think that they're going to be fiery. I think that they're going to come out ruthless in the way that they're scoring. And I also think that they're prepared to play smart and not let the moment get too big for them. The way that Brianna Stewart has her head on the shoulders, she she's not going to let her teammates crack under pressure. And I just think that that's super dangerous. She's won two championships, and I wouldn't be surprised if she wins a third, but I would I would want it to be a series between the Sun and the Liberty, ideally, so that they get as tuned up as possible for the Aces in the long run. The I-95 showdown. Ooh, um, true. True. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, no, that's, um, that makes a lot of sense. Sounds like you're really optimistic, so before, um, and we can definitely, Matt, if you had other questions too, but I did want to make sure we got this out there. Do you have a serious prediction for the, the Liberty Mystic series? Okay. Yeah. I'm happy you're catching me the day before the game because this <laughs> this is definitely going to change after tomorrow night, I feel like. But I'm, I got to give respect to the Mystics. I think it's going to be a three-game series. And I, I think that we're going to see some great basketball out of Brianna Stewart tomorrow night. And I think the Liberty are going to win game one for sure. Game two could be a toss-up, but I do see the Liberty coming away overall with the series win. And it is tough. And, like, I don't think the optimism's fully deserved because the Mystics are such a strong opponent and really anything can happen. Some people could be off. People file out, whatever it is. But I say that the Liberty win tomorrow night at home. One last question that I have for you, which is not about any team specifically, but about the WNBA playoffs in general. 
I miss the fact, like the NBA used to open up with the best round that was way back in the day, it was best of three, and then it was best of five. And eventually it got negotiated out to a best of seven, which I find tiresome as hell because in basketball of all sports, the likelihood of an eight seed winning a best of seven, like it's, it doesn't happen. It's never going to happen. It's like watching an execution like slowly unfold. I'm not interested. The WNBA has this very interesting format where you get the first two games at home, and if it has to go to a decisive game, it's on the road. I really like that. I'm not sure it's entirely fair. There's something in my brain defaults to like, if you're the better team, you should get this this final game at home. You earned that right. But like, there's something really dramatic about you better win game one because if you don't, you know, more, do you like this format or do you, do you wish it was structured more like a one, one, one where you get game one in New York, game two, Washington. If you need a game three, you should get it at home. Or do you feel like, the excite that it seems more exciting than just and i wonder at different points in a sports um evolution with the public and its popularity and its success maybe there's times where the excitement's more important and maybe there's times where you can more prioritize like let's reward the WNBA is maybe in a different position as it's growing i like it but like do you like it do you wish it was a little different like what do you think of the the actual format it's so weird. It is so weird. And as you're talking, I'm wondering too how much it has to do with, you know, the whole fight for chartered flights. Maybe they're trying to give the advantage to the team that does better because then that means they have to travel less mm-hmm. if they keep winning. So then it is more exciting in that way. Excellent. And I think one of the most exciting times of basketball besides just playoffs in general March Madness. People love March Madness. And you're right. There wouldn't be upsets if they were seven game series between like whatever random school playing Gonzaga or something. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. So I, I think I do support the fact that it's three games because that's super cutthroat and it really is just, it's every game's a must win. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, you're right. I think I would expect the, the winner go home game to be giving the home court advantage to the higher seed. So the motivation to win back to back is right there. And I think it's really hard to beat a team three times. That's so hard. So mm-hmm. a five game series is it's really tough because you're going to be getting the same basketball over and over, but there's only so much you could do to change your game plan in that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I like it in the way that it's new and they're trying something and we have to see the way it plays out. Yeah. And I think at this point, it really just comes down to if your team wins two in a row and they're the higher seed, you're going to end up liking this format. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if Absolutely. your team's the lower seed and then they're playing game three at home and they end up winning, you're also going to like this format. But either yeah. way, it's just tough. And I think that's something in women's sports is there's still a lot of room for experimentation. There's a lot of room for trying something and seeing what works. The commissioner's cup obviously brings in a whole bunch of viewers. So that works. And when you have the aces playing the Liberty in Las Vegas, the week of all-star week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that also works. So I think that they might be on to something. And if they're not, you know, you you give it a test and then you move on. But um, personally, I'm, I wish I could have an opinion for you. I feel like that's the name of the game. But it's just I got to see how it plays out. But as of right now, I'm I'm supporting it. I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, I'm glad that you used the word cutthroat because um, 
And I bring this up because we might have a, a lot of people listening to the pod today who are more who are kind of newer to the Liberty than they are to the Knicks. If you don't follow the NBA, WNBA closely, one thing you may not realize is just what a cutthroat league this currently is in terms of just trying to get a job. I have never seen a sport. There's 12 teams. It's the WNBA is in this unique position right now where there are more qualified players than there are spots for them. And you have this league where I've never seen this in another sport where it's completely common that like the fourth pick in the draft is not on a team when the season starts and has to fight to get back on a roster. Um, I've never seen that before. So if you're new to WNBA, really do check it out. And if you watch it, you know, like the competition level is incredible because everybody who was there has had to like really overcome to get where they are. Mm. Um, it's very, very, it's, it's so cool and sunny. I also want, I'm just going to ask you for one last thing and then we're done. And Stacy, if you have something in mind for this also, I want to, I want to hear yours, but I definitely want to hear Gigi's. I want to give the listeners, maybe if they're not totally familiar with the Liberty, forget all the big picture predictions and, we, just, we watch this mostly because we we get joy watching basketball. And maybe there's something that you don't know to look out for. So I would just like to offer as a gift to the general public, if you have not watched Courtney Vandersloot, Courtney Vandersloot, for all her renown, is like a brilliant passer and orchestrator and thinker and leader. Courtney Vandersloot is unbelievable finishing around the basket. I did not know this about her until this season. And, like, I'm a sucker for things that UNESCO does. I'm a sucker for Ioannis. Stewart is, like, easy to watch do anything. But Vandersloot's finishing around the rim has been a complete revelation. Right hand, left hand, back to the glass, up and under. Like, she, I, I'm constantly blown away by what she does. So if you are going to check the Liberty out, pay attention to that. That might bring you some joy that you didn't know you needed in life. So mm. look out for that. Gigi, any... Just little things like that. It's something a player does on either team or just something that you're like, just aesthetically, this might be fun. Ooh, okay. Yes. First of all, I, I now I need to know, you know, how, sorry to bring up a Nets player, guys, former Nets player, but you know how Kyrie's famous thing is like he didn't have a backboard or whatever, so he had to learn how to spin the ball differently to lay it in. Oh. I wonder mm-hmm. if Courtney Vandersloot had like a similar reason she had to be so good at finishing. And what's crazy yeah. about her too is like it's a commodity anytime she's – driving to the hoop honestly because you're used to her kicking it out it's like gonna be fake she's drawing down low and then she's gonna kick it out but then you get to see her finish and not only is it more special because you don't see it as often but the way she finishes i'm in complete agreement i swear to you especially in person every time i'm like are you kidding (laughs) with that like it gets better every time so yeah she is so exciting to watch one non-liberty player i would look out for is Alyssa thomas at she's mvp Mm -hmm. candidate Coming out of the Connecticut Sun last night, she set like in one play, maybe six or seven different screens, and then also got the ball before the time ran out and then had time to kick it back out. Like she Mm. was so exciting and so, so fun to watch. And for me, she was a player, everybody knows her in the WNBA space, but she wasn't someone I felt like I gave enough airtime to. And then I actually watched her play really intently, like only focusing on her, not really watching ball. And it's so exciting. So, yeah, I would say her. And then you could go through the Liberty lineup. Every player on that team has a certain specialty that if you just watch them move, if you watch Betnija Laney, on defense and how she could lock it down, force people to their opposite side. It's 
crazy and you're wondering how she could play as many minutes as she does because it's so impressive. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's endless players, I feel like, that deserve a shout out. But Knicks fans, I this, this has got to be like a Knicks fan podcast. Man, if you just love good basketball, the Liberty – are so exciting to watch and just accept them, accept them as a great New York basketball team right now, because, you know, it's nice to have a little hope not to dig at the Knicks, but you know, the no, Liberty nice to have two good teams and with yeah. the Knicks and the Liberty, okay. we definitely have that. Yeah. Said well, yes. Please, <laughs> any last things that you want to add about the Liberty? Yeah, I, I would Liberty. echo that. It's definitely fun to have two good basketball teams um, in this, in the uh, city. Um, I also say this, right? I mean, there's just so much talent, but speaking, if we are speaking to Knicks fans, there's been des desperation for a star. The WNBA has arguably the best player in the league, right? They have, uh, sorry, the, the Liberty have the best player in the league um, in Brianna Stewart. And like you watch her play and I'm not sure the last time, you know, we, you have Aaron Judge in baseball, um, you know, seeing a, a player like that in New York and seeing that on your team is something we haven't had a lot of um, in New York in any of the, the major sports um, for, for some time. Uh, and it's really special to watch her play. She's just so dominant. Like I think the, mm -hmm. the comparison to LeBron in terms of just being able to do basically anything she wants on a basketball floor uh, is, is really fun to watch. Um, and it's been fun, you know, following this team more the last couple of years since they got Sabrina, since they've, you know, incrementally gotten better, uh, you know, players like Marine have developed here. Uh, it's just been a really fun story and, and really excited to see now that they've reached this this new level, um, how they're going to perform in the playoffs. And then the last thing I'll add is, yeah, like I've talked about her before on this pod. I'm, I'm going to bring her up again. If you haven't watched Mourinho Honest play, it is uh, one of the most fun experiences she's just going to take. You know, if you, I think you mentioned Steph. Um, I think she's actually like offensively, she's like probably more adept at this point. But player that I, she reminds me of a lot is of Samanio quickly, especially when he starts. And he's just like bombing from deep and kind of just he plays with, you know, that kind of a joy, just a really smart player. I think she's more advanced as a passer and and all of those things. But, yeah, that's what I'll say is like it's just um, when she's on the floor, like it's just there's there's always uh, it, it's always going to be very entertaining and fun to watch. Two final postscripts, because I, I just can't seem to stop talking about this series. Um, Elena Deladon is unbelievable to watch play. Like if you love Stewart, you want to watch a big who can do everything. Um, Elena Dodon has a, a great life story also, if you ever want to read up on her, but just as a player. And last but not least, Natasha Cloud has been with the Mystics her whole eight-year career. If you just love watching point guard play, and a lot of New York point guard is the New York position, if you just like watching that, study Natasha Cloud, watch her play. Even when she's doing it to your team, it brings a smile to your face. Like She's so fun to watch play. So a lot to watch here, a lot to watch out for in the series. That will be all for today's episode. Gigi Spear, thank you so much for joining us. Anything to pitch or tell the listeners to look out for or think about? Check out some recaps coming out from both of That's us. That's right. For the Strickland, for this entire Liberty series. Obviously, watch the games if you can. But if you can't, we'll be recapping it. And we have been all season long. It's been an awesome Liberty season to be recapping. And there's just there's so much to know about the Liberty. There's endless storylines with them and really the sky's the limit for this playoff run for them so yeah i think that that's super exciting 
Um, some new stuff coming out soon, but hopefully I could be back on um, if the Liberty keep on winning and then we could promote promote whatever is coming out in the next couple of weeks on my end. But either way, just so happy to be here. I, I love this community. I think Knicks fans are so, so exceptional. I come from a family of Knicks fans. My grandma has a, has a piece of a chair um, from, yeah. I think, from the garden. And she's a longtime Knicks fan, but I don't think she quite remembers it now because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she's up there. But um, so, so much passion uh, um, for my family, for the Knicks. And I just think it's an awesome way to be a fan of a team no matter what. And so much love for the Strickland. Anytime I'm at a WNBA game um, and I say I'm writing for the Strickland, they just they think it's awesome that the Strickland are covering the Liberty and that um, – they get to learn a little bit more about um, the Liberty through a Knicks fandom. So super, super excited to be here and so grateful. It's been awesome to talk to you and to meet you, Stacy. Yeah, no, great. Uh, great to meet you as well. And, and thanks so much for coming on. It was, uh, it was really fun. Happy to. Hopefully there will only be two recaps from the first series, but if it has to go three, we got you covered. Uh, keep your eyes out for the recaps there. And as long as the Liberty are alive in the playoffs, GG, we will look to have you on again and discuss further things. So that's all for this episode, everybody. Thank you for listening. Liberty play Friday. Knicks play in a few weeks. Surely Stacey and I will talk about them again before then. But enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your weekend. Peace out, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian. Those are really good questions. They are? 
Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.